Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You're listening to Achtung Rural, broadcasting from the beautiful South Birmingham. Except no substitute. Welcome, 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 dear listeners. Welcome to my back garden. Welcome to the rural ideal that is my back garden. Um, I'm breaking every podcast in the rule book by recording out here today. This is just such a warm day. I thought I'd take it to the rear part of the house there's not that much urban kind of noise going on but do forgive me if you do get the odd bit of drill or grime music that intrudes on today's random fixture which is as generated by random.org 1987 i'm going to take you all the way back to 1987 start of the the fabled 1987-88 season of dreams of course though we didn't know that when Millwall lost to Bradford City on the 5th of September 1987. We lost up there at Valley Parade by three goals to one, unfortunately. This was back at the start of the eventually glorious season. And this was, in fact, the first defeat of the campaign. Um, we'd made a, an OK start to the season. Um, we obviously had the summertime of excitement with the signings of the likes of Tony Cascarino and George Lawrence, uh, and others uh, by Reg Burr. So there had been a generation generation of excitement as the season began. But opening day fixtures like Middlesbrough and away draw, um, League Cup draw against Orient, a, a win against Barnsley at home, which was um, you know a good start, and then an away loss at Leicester, a, a win against Birmingham on the first of September. I remember that game quite well. Um, I, I was at that game, win against Birmingham. But then uh, this kind of slightly gutty away loss at Valley Parade the week after. So we, we went up to Yorkshire mid-table when we were really planning or hoping to be certainly top six after the signings of that of that glorious summertime. So this result left us in 12th position on seven points under, of course, the joint management, the, uh, the best manager we ever had, John Doherty, assisted by Frank McClintock. Uh, we'll come back to John Doherty in a little bit. Frank McClintock, of course, was a member of the Arsenal double-winning side in 1970-71, Scottish international, and uh, a very solid joint manager with, with with the Doc. The Millwall team, dear listeners, on this um, loss-making afternoon, uh, in goal, Brian Horn, backline, Sean Sparham. We'll return to Sean Sparham, one of the lesser-known or spoken-about players in these podcast series. 
Sean Sparham, Alan Walker, Steve Wood, Keith Stevens, Rhino, across the back line. Across the midfield, Danny Salman. I'm going to come back to Danny shortly. Uh, with Terry Herlock, Les Briley and George Lawrence across the midfield. And up front, the classic Sheringham and Cascarino duo subs not used this particular day. Uh, 5th of September, 1987 subs. Darren Morgan and David Byrne on the bench. Now, as I say, we lost up there this day. It was, it was a moderate start to the campaign, really. We never really got going till post-Christmas, in all honesty, in Division 2. It would finish in us winning the championship at the end of the season, but we were not knowing this at this point. Scoring on this particular game, we went one goal down after 12 minutes to a goal by Palin, Palin for Bradford. We then went 2-0 down to a 55th-minute Paul Fucher penalty. Remember them, the Fucher brothers? They played at Luton. I think they played in America and uh, finished up at Bradford. So Fucher, 55 minutes, put us 2-0 behind. Briefly, we reclaimed a goal back through Terry Herlock to 2-1 on the 65th minute before another goal for Fucher. Finished the day's business, made it 3-1 for Bradford in the 69th minute. And that was that for the Lions on this particular away day. The attendance at Valley Parade this day was 8,658. I did wonder when I first looked at the Mill History website whether this was played at Valley Parade, and it was because the ground, which had obviously been affected by the terrible fire of 1985, had been rebuilt. Um, the main stand, I think, was the, the old wooden stand burned down completely with great loss of life, of course. And they had had to take up a bit of a nomadic existence afterwards whilst the stadium was reconstructed. I know they played at the Bradford Oddsall Stadium, which is a rugby league, or was, I should say, because uh, I think that's that's um, been uh, knocked down now, the Oddsall Stadium. That was rugby league and speedway primarily. I think probably Greyhounds as well in the past, but that's, that's no longer there. And they also played some games at uh, Ellen Road, I was reading. But this was played back at uh, Valley Parade. And as I say, this, this loss put us 12th. We would recover slightly the, on the following Saturday, the 12th of September, with a 2-1 win over Ipswich Town in front of just 6,300 at Coldblow Lane. Um, that would put us back into 8th position. But we were very much mid-table, um, really up as far as as as, as the, the new year, really, when you know form started to take hold. So despite the high hopes of, of summertime, the signatures and the glamour signing, as it was, of Tony Cascarino, as I remember, it really was um, you know, a sense of real excitement in that summertime. The season start was something of a, of a drab one, in all honesty, um, and we had a sense it was going to be another typical Millwall season. Little did we know, because obviously in the end it would finish up with the, uh, the glory days at Hull City, the championship and promotion to the first division. But there we are. You never know what's around a corner in, in football. That noise in the background you can hear is a jet going out of the London City Airport, which has reopened. Anyway, um, we've picked out three names from this time. Names that we haven't really touched upon on any of the previous nostalgia shows. So I've picked out Danny Salman to, to start us off with. Um, a really solid midfielder, of course. Um, came to us from Brentford in 1986 for a tribunal assessed fee of £20,000, if you can believe that. And the tribunal, for younger listeners, was a football league panel. I don't know how they assessed these prices, where there was a dispute over a transfer fee. The tribunal would sit in judgment and come up with a figure based on, I don't know what, 
tea leaves and smokes of puffs of smoke from the uh, the chairman's um, chimney, like a pope or something, something, things of that kind. So Danny signed for us after an extensive period at Brentford. 335 appearances, in actual fact, over 1975 to 1986. He was known to John Doherty, who had also managed at Brentford and was an ex-Brentford player himself, but more of that in a little bit. But Danis, really, his um, the bulk of his career was spent at Griffin Park, 335 appearances, eight goals over that 11-year period. He then signed for the Lions for, I think it's fair to say, the, the height of his career, really, which would prove to be promotion in this particular season that we're talking about today. And then, obviously, the first division days up till 1990. Uh, it would make 93 appearances for Millwall scoring three goals in that time. Before moving on to Plymouth in the 1990-92, uh, to 92, 74 appearances there, four goals, a brief loan at Peterborough, and he finished his career at Torquay, uh, 20 appearances. 511 league appearances for Danny Salmon, 15 goals over what is a near 20-year career, just 18-year career. He'd actually played for England youth, um, five caps as an England youth, and uh, also managed... Torquay United youth team as a player manager that clearly didn't take to management there's no other teams listed as, as, as managerial appointments for him after leaving the game Wikipedia mentions the youth you know the youth uh, team management spell 1992 to 93 and he combined that role with the Torquay youth development officer he became the club's commercial manager in 1993 and as of July 2010 it says he was coaching youth players in the southwest at a soccer school, um, his own soccer school, um, working via Plymouth College. He is a sports and body massage therapist and also worked part-time for Plymouth Raiders, which is a men's basketball team. I had, I had to check that, so don't think I've got extensive sports knowledge to know that off the top of my head. Um, apparently Plymouth Raiders are a men's basketball side. Um, since retiring from the game, um, he's also done some work for the Press Association focusing on Plymouth Argyle matches and writes a column apparently in the Plymouth Herald newspaper. Dennis's honours over his career, um, twofold really, Brentford Football League, fourth division promotion. I don't know if you get a medal for that, you must get some kind of marker for that. That was in 1977-78 and then a championship medal with obviously the Lions in the glory season that would follow this match, a 1987-88 second division championship medal. And just to close on what is a really solid football career, um, I think it's also worth mentioning that Danny Salmon was the Brentford Supporters Player of the Year, 1984-85. The Players Player of the Year in the same season, 84-85. He rests in the, um, resides in the Brentford Hall of Fame. I didn't know there was one, but there is apparently, and he's in there, rightly so. Uh, and then Millwall Player of the Year, 1987-88 in this particular season. So that's quite a list of honours for Danny Salmon. Um, a player who I have fond memories of, um, I'm sure you do too, anyone of that era really I think any of the supporters that followed the Lions in this particular season will have the fondest of memories for all of the squad which would include Dennis as a very solid mainstay of what would become a promotion winning side. I remember him as a very hard working fullback. Uh, sometimes he would stray into midfield. Um, one particular memory which occurs to me was um, the home game in 88-89 versus Liverpool where officially at least there was 23,000 in Coldblow Lane. There were more, I think, 
It was packed, listener. It was packed. If you were there, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I arrived late. I'd cut it fine coming up from Alpington. I was living at the time. Got to the ground after kickoff because it was packed outside. It was packed inside the stadium. I went to the very back of the cold blow lane end. Couldn't see a thing, if I'm honest. I knew the game was the game was in play by this stage. It would have been nearer to eight o'clock by this stage. Game had kicked off at seven forty-five. Uh, the Lions scored, and this was a Liverpool team. Just to be clear, that I think should have won the European Cup. Um, they were banned from Europe, obviously, in the aftermath of Heysel. But this was a major league Liverpool side featuring John Barnes, John Aldrich, uh, Steve McMahon, Grobolo and Goal, a classic Liverpool side. Should have been European champions, would have been European champions if they'd been permitted to take part in a competition. And unbelievably, for a Millwall fan of my many, many years, we took the lead against them. Uh, Danny Salmon scored. I can tell you nothing about the goal. It was down at the Ilderton Road end. I was at the very back of the Colblow Lane end, peeping over someone's shoulder trying to see what I could, and that was very little, apart from the floodlights up in the sky. And we scored, and the ground went into what I can only call mayhem. Um, there was a crowd surge. Younger listeners won't know what I mean by a crowd surge. Old terracing, um, when a goal would score a near chance, people would surge forwards in a crush and you would be carried forward. And so I was carried forward. Um, my feet left the ground. I'd never thought it, you hear of such things and you think people are making it up until it happens to you. Then you believe it. Maybe it's like, I don't know, seeing a ghost or uh, having a religious experience or something. But until it happens to you, you don't believe it. Well, a crowd surge happened to me. I went from the back of the Colblow Lane end in this surge, um, I don't know how far I went. It could only have been a few yards, but when you haven't got your feet on the ground, it's quite a worrying experience. And we finished up um, about 20, well, probably about 20 feet forwards. Maybe that might be an exaggeration, I don't know. But certainly where I finished up, had a great view of the game. <laughs> I could see, well, went from seeing nothing um, to seeing the game pretty much unimpeded, as far as you could ever say unimpeded at the, 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 uh, the packed cold low lane ground so um we finished up losing it 2-1 but to a, a majestic liverpool side and it was a head-to-head -head battle and it was one of the great games i've ever seen in all honesty um purely because we went toe-to-toe -to -toe and matched one of the great sides of europe and therefore world football and were very unlucky to be beaten on the night and Dennis salman opened the scoring for us and for that reason alone apart from his solid playing career solid performance as a defender in midfield i will never forget danny salman so thank you danny when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You're listening to Achtung Noel. Now, I thought before I'd come on to John Doherty... I would just touch on Sean Sparham because he's just a name that you um, don't hear very often, especially in a podcast context. He was a player, a fullback, that played for us not very long, in actual fact. Um, a career uh, blighted by injury, unfortunately. Sean's always a local boy, born in Bexley. Um, came from the Mill Youth ranks and I think he was seen as something of a prospect. He made 25 starts for us over 1987, 88, 89 89, 90, never really held down a place. So three season, 25 starts. Um, a brief loan to Brentford in 89, 90. And then his career was um, brought to a sudden halt, sadly, um, through injury. Um, according to Wikipedia, Sean um, obviously left football and worked as a freelance photographer, which, um, fair play. Uh, photographer and picture editor. Uh, as of 2020 in February, it lists him as working as a painter and decorator in in Sickup. So um, Sean Sparham, um, one of those players that um, were solid squad members. I, I remember him being seen as something of a youth prospect, but he never really got the chance because football can be a cruel game, really. So um, he did win a championship medal with the Lions in 88, 87, 88 this season. Um, and then injury took it away from him. So just wanted to mention Sean Sparham and send him, if he's listening or his family are listening, send him my best wishes because he was part of one of the great seasons of my life following the line, Sean Sparham, listeners. And so to, to, to close us, I thought it might be appropriate just to do something on John Doherty, our greatest ever manager, the only Millwall manager ever to achieve top flight football. Many have come close. John, De John Doherty made it. And I just thought it might be worth um, just doing a short piece on John's. Not much gets spoken about him other than the the sheer achievement of it. So I thought it might be nice just to do a little piece, a little bit of background on who John Doherty is. He's still alive, born in 1940, born in Glasgow, Scottish man. Um, came to England to play football. He was a, played as a right winger, um, played for Brentford, Sheffield United, Brentford again. This is during the 60s, 1959. Uh, finished his career at QPR after spells of Reading and, and a couple of spells of Brentford. 317 appearances, uh, 116 goals. So he was, he was a goal-scoring winger, basically. But I think probably he's better known as a manager, and a manager for us in the end. I think it's going to come back to Millwall, really, because that was everyone's crowning achievement. It was his crowning achievement in, in football management. But he managed also at Brentford, a repeat um, linkage to that club, and he would take, obviously, Herlock and Salman from Brentford to great effect to Colbelow Lane, um, a five-year spell managing at, at Cambridge United just prior to being appointed as Millwall manager. Um, that was in 1986 when he joined us when the club was at something of a low ebb. I mean, obviously, we'd just been promoted via 
George Graham's efforts and we'd got ourselves into the second division. But it was a struggle. The club were financially stretched. Um, the hooliganism of the time, the night the tag had been attached to Mill Football Club and life as a Mill fan was not an easy thing. Life for the, for the club financially was not easy. And I'm going to come back to the club relaunching itself in the mid-80s as a community club. I've got a fantastic um, uh, brochure of the time when Mill relaunched itself under John Doherty's management um, as Mill in the community, as a community club. It's when they used to get things like the, the match day crash for kids, the Lionesses began at this time, efforts to try and start a community trust to reach out and reach local kids, get them into education away from all the... the the, the, the bad stuff that happens out there. And John Doherty joined us at this time when the club was, as the brochure says, turning itself into the football club that gave itself back to the people. And I think that's a great line. And John Doherty was at the forefront of that. I'm going to return back to that brochure to close today's show because I think it is indicative of who John Doherty was as a man as well as a football manager. This need and desire to connect with the fans and to um, to return the club and the sport itself in some ways back to the roots of the game, the, the supporters on the terracing and at Mill particularly are very much a, a working class support base which I think we retain to this day. Now John Doherty would of course bring in players like Herlock, he would sign um, the likes of, of Cascarino, um, work with uh, Sheringham, who was there already, of course, bringing in other players for like, the likes of Jimmy Carter and produce what we now know as the classic Mill side that will be promoted this particular season. We're referring to 87-88, the fixture we were talking about today, and it would finish in a blaze of glory at the end of the season, winning at Hull City after a long haul I mean that that the, the season was never cut and dry Mill don't do things easily we probably bobbed along in mid-table till Christmas and then form started to take hold after the Christmas break in the year of 1988 many people talk about seasons listeners 1987 88 1988 89 for me in a funny way sometimes years are more um, more 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 pertinent I think of 1988 the year so you're talking about the the surge to promotion at the end of 87-88 this season we're talking about and then the opening adrenaline rush ride of first division football in 88-89 so if you if you took one year 1988 it's a golden year in the in the memory of any Millwall fan that was there at that time there's no other year that matters in some ways I think um, because it was just such a, a dreamscape of things happening that you never imagined would be possible at the den, coached by John Doherty. His football style was of its day. It was probably, um, we always slagged slightly for being direct, a bit like a Wimbledon. Uh, and rather like Wimbledon, I think we had better players than we were given credit for, and we played more football than we were given credit for. But because it was Millwall, it was Newcross, Colblow Lane, the ball was got forwards at the earliest opportunity, just as Jack Charlton did with the Republic of Ireland. Um, the football purists saw us as um, lump and proletariat. As I say, apologies for any any um, you know local noise you hear. The, the, the dog was probably agreeing with what I'm saying there, I reckon. In the end, in the first division, it would all come a little bit awry. The wheels would come off. I think probably the club didn't, you know, 
replenish its squad to match top flight football. My memory, if you want one memory of the of the season, really is that every game where we were um, in that kind of adrenaline ride rush, very Millwall situation, but every game felt like a cup tie, backs to the wall. We went top of the table in October 1988. John Doherty took us to the top of the, of the Football League table, unimaginable. But it was, every game was like you were fighting for your life and it was very Millwall, you know, it's what we live for, it's inject it as they say nowadays. But you couldn't sustain it over the course of a season. When we met the likes of Liverpool, I've referred to already, you came up against real quality, and there was a difference. There was a there was a a, a positional time on the ball, quality difference between the players that they could bring to the party and we could. And in the end, that found us out. So John Doherty would leave us in the disastrous season. Well, it was rock bottom all season, pretty much. No, we did. Briefly top the table, I say, in 88, 18, uh, 89, 90, sorry. And John Doherty would leave us. Where we'd go on to Bradford City to no great um, mark. Um, he was sacked there in 1991 before coming back for a very strange brief return spell in 96, 97. This was just um, around the time of uh, the club going into administration at Zampa Road. Um, again, with no great effect. John Doherty's glory days after a long build-up and then something of a me mediocre is too strong a word, an average tail away. But like us all, like any Millwall fan of a certain era, John Doherty's world revolves around the, the years 1987 to 1990. Um, those were the years that we achieved, heights that we've never achieved since. We hope we can get back there this season. We hope so. But for those of us that lived it, John Doherty who's now retired, living in Wiltshire, according to Wikipedia, gave us something that we never dreamed possible. And so for that reason alone, we say thank you to, to John Doherty and wish him um, a long and happy retirement to come. His honours as a, as a manager, Football League, fourth division, third place promotion. This was 1971-72. Um, uh, that would have been with, oh, that would have been as a player with Brentford, excuse me. And then obviously the championship and achievement of 10th position in the first division, the club's highest ever league position with Millwall in 1987-88, then 88-89. So John Doherty, I just want to close, if I may, if you'll indulge me, by reading a very short quote from um, the, the booklet Millwall in the Community. It's written by a, a guy called journalist called Chris Lightbone. Photography by Chris Schwartz. It's iconic stuff in there. Um, occasionally I'll stick it on, on Twitter. I will put um, this on with um, this particular show. Uh, but this is a quote from John Doherty, uh, speaking from the heart. He had, players grew away from fans, he says, not through any will, will on their part, but just by the evolution of football and the money that came into the game. And that was sad. Um, when league football began, their players were people who had grown up in that area or they imported players who had lived amongst the fans in that area. And this meant a club's style of football tended to reflect the values of the people from that area. Football, John Doherty says, literally arose from the people. It's a long piece. I won't read it all. But one bit I do like is uh, his job is to give this area, New Cross, Bermondsey, a team it can feel pride in and one that can be successful. Um, he says this is a deprived, hard area that is looked upon as being difficult. There's diff different times. I still think there's a touch of this to this day. Listeners, you probably agree. 
Um, so people outsiders think they're hard and do a team is produced from such an area must be the symbol of it. They categorise Millwall in that way. But what I like here is a great sentence. If you look deeper into the community, you see the warmth, you see the friendliness and the sincerity of the people. You have to get those elements into the side as well, into the playing side. It's a mixture. Um, and he speak, goes on to speak about the, 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 um, the club's fans liking ball-playing wingers, um, but players that tend to give 100% with honesty. Great man. Great man, John Doherty. Um, really captured the essence of what it is to be a Millwall fan. Um, it's a great piece. I will stick it on Twitter. Uh, manager of our greatest ever season. Um, so there we are, dear listeners. I hope you've enjoyed this little touch on 1987-88, the fixture that we were covering today. Straight a little bit away from it now, but there we are. Was um, a loss, strangely. A very Millwall way to do it, isn't it? Um, 5th of September, 1987, Bradford City 3, Millwall 1. Scorer that day, Terry Herlock from the 65th minute. Um, there we are. The uh, podcast will be back later on this week with Michael and Aaron Paul doing the Real Millwall Fan Show. So have a tune in for that. We'll also have another Lioness show with Ryan later on in this week. But for now, I hope you've enjoyed this little trip down memory lane back to 1987 and the glory days. I can't do Bruce Springsteen's voice, so I won't sing it for you. Arriva Dirty Millwall. Thank you for listening. to Aston Mural. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little review. However, it's actually me wrong. Till next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.